Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you. And this is our post-training camp episode, I guess. It's the 2023 CFL season preview. And we have TSN insider Dave Naylor with us. Dave, welcome back. Hey, thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah, uh, last time you were here, we talked about free agency uh, right after it first started. Now all the cuts are done. Everything is done finished and football is back have you seen any surprise keeps around the league right now with all of the uh cuts now completed well you know it's it's one of the things that that really is reinforced to me when i looked at all the lists of the cuts you know over the weekend and that is the fact that cfl teams for the most part are set before training camps i mean you know the nature of signing players and giving them bonus money in the off season. You you don't want to give a guy you know twenty grand in February and then cut him in May. So most of the jobs that are open in CFL training camps are not necessarily to supplant a veteran. They're more if you had a guy leave via free agency. If you had a guy retire in the off season, then you've got competition for a job at tra- at, at training camp. But, you know, but veterans going to training camp and getting cut at camp. Uh, I mean, just go through those nine cut lists and try to find me the veterans that got cut. I mean, Derek Dennis got cut. You know, Patrick Levels got cut early in camp. Uh, you know, and beyond those two, you know, I'd be struggling for names of guys uh, that, that, you know, signed and went to camp as, as veterans and then, you know, weren't able to, uh, you know, weren't able to get onto a roster. So and I think a lot of the, the, the auditions that teams make for players that at training camp, you, you know, they end up on practice rosters and you may not see them for a while because, you know, that's when maybe you might get a veteran replaced during the season, right? If you get a third of the way through the season and somebody's not playing very well, well, we've got so-and-so on the practice roster and he looked really good for us in the preseason. And we weren't willing to, you know, make him put him in the roster coming out of week one, but Week seven, you know, we're, you know, maybe we are. And you know, that guy's been at practice every day. So I think, you know, given the short nature of CFL training camps, you know, they, a lot of times they put guys onto, uh, I say, onto the practice roster and maybe they've going to sort of, you know, keep them in mind depending on how things go. Because as we know, in every football season, uh, some of the best laid plans uh, don't work out. One of those that I kind of noticed was, of course, uh, with the BC Lions. So Sean Lemon leaves Calgary, goes to BC. He gets released on May 21st, which is one of those veteran cuts uh, to make room for Canadian defensive lineman Jonathan Kongbo, only then to trade Kongbo to the Hamilton Tiger Cats on June 5th, citing a locker room fit. What did you hear or what, what are your thoughts on that whole kind of move? Well, I think, you know, a locker room fit was probably a gentle term for that. I, I think there was a falling out between Jonathan Kongbo and the coaching staff, you know, over the fact that he wasn't going to be a starter in week number one. You know, obviously there was some things said on Twitter with him going out the door and then some things said back by other players. And, you know, I mean, ultimately that is, I guess, I guess a culture fit. But, you know, Jonathan Kongbo was a, a Canadian who played at the University of Tennessee. He's an SEC guy, would have high expectations for himself. 
you know, was on the roster for four games in the National Football League last year, of course, had been part of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when they won a great cup. I don't know him personally at all, but I, I, I can I can assume that he had very high expectations for you know what he was expecting to be able to do in BC and not being a starter. Now, now those things are sometimes overblown by players. I mean, it's week number one. Uh, obviously, starting matters, but you know the number of snaps you play in the course of a game actually matters more than you know, whether you're on the field for the very first series or things like that. But you know, whatever the case may be, he reacted badly to it. And look, I, I'll tell you the telltale sign on that one. Before any of this came out, you look at it on the Monday morning when that trade was made or announced. He was traded for a fourth round pick. Okay, mm-hmm. Jonathan Congo is still a young player. He's about what in his third professional season, maybe fourth. So he's you know, if Jonathan Congo was let's just say eligible in the CFL draft this year, the Canadian draft, he would have been the number one pick overall. So they traded a guy who has the talent to be the number one pick overall for a fourth round pick. So as soon as you see that, you know that the team is is not necessarily trading him to try to get value for him. They're trading him, just try to, to move him and get something for him. Are you at all surprised to see three really legends, future Hall of Famers, and guys like Derek Dennis, Sean Lemon, and even Charleston Hughes not having a job week one in the CFL right now? Well, Charleston Hughes, I think, is, what, 38 years old? Mm-hmm. Something thereof? I mean, you know, you'd have to show me the list of 38-year-old defensive ends that have played professional football. It's it's pretty short. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's, you know, in, in the case of Charleston Hughes, I think it's just a matter of the clock running out on his career. And and I, I say that as somebody who's known Charleston Hughes for a long time, he's always had a good relationship with him, completely respect the career he's had. I, I did an item two or three years ago about all the players who had benefited from playing on the other side of Charleston Hughes, the idea being the teams have to, you know, load up and double team him on one side. And the guy who's playing on the other side usually racks up a bunch of sacks and gets paid the next season. (laughs) Not only did Charleston Hughes help his team a lot of years, but he also helped some of his teammates. So that one really doesn't surprise me. Uh, You know, the the Derek Dennis one, I mean, he was a CFL all-star last year, but a lot of times when guys get cut in those circumstances, and I think this is true in the Patrick Levels example as well that we saw in Ottawa, you know, it has as much to do that they believe in a guy who's behind him, you know, not necessarily they don't believe in the player. And then money comes into it, right? And if you look at a guy and say, hey, we're paying this guy X, we have a guy who we think can do the job almost as well uh, for Y, you know, we're going to go that direction in a, in a salary cap league. And, and Derek Dennis is a you know veteran guy and a guy who's who's been a uh, CFL All Star. You know, he, that, those are those are factors that come in for those kinds of things. The Sean Lemon one is the is the 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 real tricky one because, of course, you know he had an outstanding year last year. Uh, he's been a guy who's been in the league for a while. The knock on him used to be that he was a pass rusher who didn't really play the run. But you know, I've heard people contradict that. So you know, all. Of, of those are again I, I think in anytime you get in football and you're into your 30s i mean you're vulnerable that's you know, that's just the nature of the business because age and money creep into the equation you know it's not like evaluating a bunch of 25 year old players and saying you know they're all on the same plane when it comes to money and age no they're not and and that's why players in their 30s sometimes you know it, it catches people by surprise and but you know that's that's just the nature of the game where in a sport where age matters a lot and where there's a salary cap. 
All right. Well, we are going to kind of do a quick run through of every team here for the season in the preview. And let's start with Hamilton. I feel like Hamilton has more eyes on them than really anybody else in the East. Do you think a Bo still has it with Bo Levi Mitchell now being the starting quarterback and with the amount of money and personnel they brought in, did they do enough to take the East? So Bo Levi Mitchell's 33, which is not old for a quarterback, but he became a lot older the last few seasons in Calgary just because he suffered a series of nagging injuries. And, you know, we were, we in the media were never really sure, you know, how much he was healthy. I mean, there's, there's, there's two, there's, there's being out of the lineup because you can't play. And then there's, well, you can play, but maybe your shoulder's not right or something else isn't right. And, and I know that people watch Bo throw sometimes in, during those last couple of seasons in Calgary, people I work with sometimes would look at him and say, I'm convinced that, you know, he's hurt or he's not right. So I talked to him a little bit this spring and actually talked to him at the time of the signing in Hamilton. And he said, you know, one of the advantages of being put in the bench a third of the way through the season last year was he didn't take any hits, you know, the last 12 <laughs> weeks. And, you know, he, and, and what he said that even a line or something, he said, it's great to walk into the weight room and you're not there for rehab. You know, you're there just to work out. Mm-hmm. And so you know, he's had a long time uh, when you factor in, you know, the missed season, the short season, and then spending most last year on the bench. He really hasn't taken much of a pounding. So now, will he ever be the Bolivar Mitchell we saw, you know, in 2016 through 2018 when, you know, he was kind of at his peak? I'm, I'm not sure. But will he be good enough? Will he be so is, he, is, he, is he a good enough shape to have a bounce back season with the, with the Cats? I think he certainly is. I think the reviews of training camp are strong and no, they've got a good core around him. I mean, the guy, you know, Hamilton has really not had a, a consistent running attack for a number of years. They've got James Butler there now. I mean, they brought back Tim White. They've got Duke Williams. You know, that, so there's, and they have, you know, again, a decent offensive line and a good roster overall. I, I don't think there's any question that Hamilton, coming off a disappointing year last season, coming off, losing the Grey Cup in overtime at home the year before and having the Grey Cup back in Hamilton this year. Yeah, yeah, with the longest Grey Cup drought going. I, I mean, when they traded for Bo Levi Mitchell's rights, you know, there were there was a lot of speculation. Well, will they sign him or will he go to free agency? And he said he's definitely going to free agency. And, and I didn't have any inside sources. I just, you know, it's kind of like water running downhill, right? When a team trades for a guy's rights, there's a high, high percentage of the, of the chip back that they're going to sign him. And in this case, with all the things that were kind of lining up for Hamilton this season, it was unfathomable to me that the, the Ticats were going to trade for his rights and let him walk out the door. So, uh, I mean, I leaned hard in that direction just with an opinion, not on, you know, based on anything other than my own just instincts and having seen this play out before. And ultimately, you know, it wasn't surprising when he's a Ticat. And, I, you know, I, I think he wants to get away from this whole you know, prove everybody in Calgary that I, you know, that wrong and stuff. I, I think he just wants to sort of plant a new flag on the other side of the country. And Bo's always been about legacy. You know, that's always mattered to him earlier in his career. You know, he talked about wanting to take a run at the Anthony Calvillo all-time passing yard number. That was something that he, I think part of, part of the reason that he didn't go to the national football league when he had an opportunity a few seasons ago to go as a backup, because he didn't want to sit on the bench. He wanted to play, he wanted to build his legacy. And, you know, through injuries and the, the COVID season and then ultimately losing his job to Jake Mayer, you know, those those kind of goals, all time statistical goals are probably out of reach. But but he's still, I think, a future Hall of Famer and a guy who I mean, uh, I don't know if you saw the interview that he did with Kate Burness on our preview show. 
that aired on Tuesday night. But, you know, Kate, I thought, drew a pretty fair analogy between what Bo is trying to do and what Ricky Ray was able to do, you know, winning in Edmonton, you know, becoming the all-time leading passer of that franchise, and then ultimately coming to Toronto, winning two more great cups and becoming the all-time leader of another franchise in passing. I thought Kate did a fantastic job with that. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic to see the comparison and how it has worked for an older quarterback to move on to a new city and still do amazing work. You mentioned Anthony Calabio. So let's jump into the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, New ownership, new coach, some new additions. We also have Tyson Philpott, who was used a lot last year, now going into his second year. What is the outlook looking like in Montreal right now? Yeah, first on Tyson Philpott, I, I thought as the second half of the year went along last year, he really evolved nicely. And look, when receivers come out of, out of U Sport, there's, and look, I don't say, I don't say it's U Sport, but I say rookie receivers in the, in the CFL in general, but particularly when they come stepping to the step up from the U Sport level, which is a bigger jump, you know, there's usually a pretty good learning curve there where you're not going to be a target. Uh, you know, regular target, you know, probably to year two at the earliest. And yet you saw that evolve. In, he, that Philpott evolved at that into the second half of the season and just, you know, seeing the respect he had from a guy like Geno Lewis, you know, in his rookie year, you know, I think that was, I think that was very notable. But, you know, look, you look at Montreal, I mean, you know, Cody Fajardo is a, a, a very interesting story because he was a guy who, you know, was a backup with two different teams, Toronto and BC, and then Shazam. He's the Western nominee for, for most outstanding player. And then as quickly as it went well for him in Saskatchewan, it turned. And, you know, look, he's with the same coach that he was with in Saskatchewan. And a lot of people look at that and say, well, that's really strange. You know, at the end, they they sat Cody Fajardo down for a game that they needed to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. And now the same guy who was his offensive coordinator is now his head coach. Well, I think we can pretty safely say that wasn't Jason Moss's call last year in Saskatchewan. And you know, he knows Cody Fajardo. So whatever his pluses are, whatever his limitations are, Jason Moss knows what he's getting. He's been with him. And and Jim Barker made this point on the program last night, and that was that in going to Montreal, Cody Fajardo's in a much better situation for him, that they have a very, very solid offensive line in Montreal. They did not have that in Saskatchewan last year. They have a very powerful running game in William Stanbeck. You know, not that Saskatchewan didn't have a run game last year, but they didn't have a back as, as elite and consistent as William Stanbeck is. So there's some things I think set up for him, you know, maybe to be more successful than he was in Saskatchewan last year. But that's, I think that's a big question mark, just when you're coming off the kind of season that Cody Fajardo was last year. And it's not like, you know, they've got a crop of, that you're going to put in the, in the class with the best receivers in the league. So I think they're, a team is going to have to run the ball a little bit this season. And I, I expect that's what they plan to do. And also, like, back with the Tyson Philpot thing, not only was he installed as a key receiver, but also he was used quite a bit in the special teams as well. So I'm really excited to see what he does. I mean, he was the Eastern Conference nominee for Rookie of the Year. With William Stanback, is he going to be able to get to that elite level after the injury? And in my opinion, I think they have kind of one of the most interesting one-two punches in the run game with Stanback and Antwi. Yeah, they do. I mean, they, and, and that's important, especially when you're talking about one guy's Canadian, one guy's American, because it gives you some flexibility in terms of you know where you can put players elsewhere on the field and, and still have a competent running back, whether you're going American or Canadian. I thought Ansby played very well. 
in the in the absence of Stanbeck last year. You know, Stanbeck's, you know, for what I understand, he's you know he's fully healthy. He's got uh, he's kind of trimmed down a little bit. You know, a little maybe a little more, a little more fit, a little more attuned to the Canadian game because of course he was taking a run at the NFL with the Raiders a couple of years ago. So look, I, I think there are, you know, there are two backs in this league that I think stand out beyond all others heading into this season. One of them is William Stanbeck, and the other one is Kadeem Carey. And like I, you know, again, I a lot. <laughs> A lot of times, you know, I will take my read on players by the way other players regard them or coaches regard them. And I know the degree of respect that William Stanback has from other coaches in the league, the guys that have to, you know, defend against him. He is he's one of those formidable players that when you play against his team, you know, you kind of circle him and say, okay, how are we going to deal with that? So, you know, I think that's that's again the kind of thing that can really help us a player like Cody Fajardo. And with the Alouettes, it seems like they now are going to have some stability at the ownership level. Do you think that is, I guess there was a lot of distraction last year, especially with Twitter and the previous ownership group. Is there more stability now that we can look forward and just say, this is going to be kind of maybe one of those surprise dark horse teams. Yeah. I, look, I, I think that's possible. Look, I think the, I think the Owls, not just last year, but if you go back over the last several years from the point where, you know, going from the Wetnall family to being owned, basically run by the league to being put into the hands of Gary Stern, who was a bit of an unpredictable guy. I mean, there's been a, it's been a noisy kind of environment around the team, but I haven't really ever said, got the sense that, you know, that, that crept in. I know there were people last year when Gary Stern came out in, in early September and, and said, you know, he was stepping away from the team and there was certainly, you know, uncertainty about the ownership. And I remember you know, we're talking about that. Well, is that going to affect the team? Are we going to see the Owls fade down the stretch because nobody really knows who's running the team and who's in charge and these kind of things. And I mean, they had a very strong president, Mary Ch- Mario Cicchini, who I think kept things on the rails through all of that. So even though at the ownership level, it was uncertain, it was not uncertain at the presidential level. And that probably matters more. Uh, but, but yeah, having Pierre called, called, called so, you know, basically a local owner, who's invested, you know, for the long term and certainly has the funds to back that team to whatever degree necessary. All of those things are good. Can't tell you they're going to turn the owls into winners necessarily overnight, but you know, ownership or instability off the field won't be the reason that they if they have a bad season. And speaking of bad seasons, uh, next up is the 2022 four and 14 Ottawa Red Blacks. I was kind of excited at first. Okay. They bring in Braylon Addison and you know, Jeremiah Masoli is going to be back and everything is good. Addison is now starting on the six game injured list. Now Jeremiah Masoli is out for the first two games, but then of course they've got the new offensive lineman Dante bull that went first overall. What do you see happening in Ottawa? Well, yeah, when they signed uh, Addison, I, th- I think they knew that, it, that you know, he was going to be a while. Now, they lost Shaq Evans as well, so that's two guys you know, that, that at the import receiver position that won't be, getting the, won't be beginning the season. Jeremiah Mazzoli has had a complicated recovery from the injury that he suffered in, I believe it was week number five last year in Saskatchewan, one of the most infamous injuries in, in CFL history, and that mm-hmm. ultimately led to a guy being thrown out of the league. You don't see that too often. Jeremiah Mazzoli has only played, I think, 20 games in the last four years. So he hasn't played a whole lot of football. He's not a guy who had a lot of injury trouble until he got his third, got into his 30s. But 
and look, I, I don't want to call him injury prone because the nature of the injury that he took last week, last season in Saskatchewan, was not in the, the kind of injury that you needed to be injury prone to suffer. It was no, it was basically a target, right? Definitely. And, and I, I think what's going to you know kind of make people uneasy in Ottawa is the fact that they have got off. It's not like they've just had bad seasons the last few. They've got off to bad starts, all right? And you go back a couple years ago, they had Matt Nichols, and when he got there, he wasn't right. And he never was right. I mean, Matt Nichols never played again after getting knocked out of a game early in that season. Uh, they had inexperienced quarterbacks. Jeremiah Mazzoli was supposed to be the solution to all of that. And, and look, I think he was the right signing. I think he was the right guy. If you mm-hmm. look at those first two games they played against Winnipeg last year, back-to-back, I mean, there's one of those games. Jalen Ackland catches the ball, which he does most times. They win. I mean, they knock off the bombs, right? So I, I, think, it's, I think it was smart that Sean Burke didn't blow up the roster. I thought it was interesting that he hired a coach who he didn't know before last season. It wasn't somebody, oh, they got a you know five-year relationship that uh, everybody knew he was going to hire Bob Dice. Well, no, it's, it's the, the complete opposite of that, which I, which I, you know, I take again of a guy having the courage of his convictions. So, look, the other guy I would point out in Ottawa that can make a difference, and I know we don't always talk about offensive linemen as defensive as difference makers, but is Drew Desjardins, you know, the mm-hmm. offensive lineman who played with Winnipeg. I saw him last summer when he was in camp with the New England Patriots, had a chance to talk to him. That He was not out of place in the Patriots camp. I remember talking to Mike Reese from ESPN about that and because he had, he's at practice every day. And, you know, talking that there was an expectation that Desjardins would at least get on the practice roster. He didn't. He got on the PR a little bit in, in New Orleans and kind of waited it out. But, you know, that's a guy that can really change kind of the nature of that team because – uh, as much as he is a uh, friendly guy to talk to after practice, he's a nasty, uh, you know what, in between the whistles. That's, you know, <laughs> I mean that in a good way, you know, in a way that he can really, you know, kind of set the tone on the offensive line. So, you know, I, you know, I, I think defensively, you know, having Jovan Santos Knox, Lorenzo Malden, you know, of course, you know, playing so well last year, racking up the sacks. You know, I, I think Ottawa could be better, but look, I think Nick Arbach will play very well in the preseason, but. That's not the guy that's going to unlock the potential of the Red Blacks. Uh, I think it's hard to have a long-term view of things when your seasons have gotten off to such rough starts the last few years. But I think it's smart for them. And ultimately, I think Jeremiah Mazzoli had the call. You know, they, I think they cleared him to play, but it was ultimately, I think, his feedback that, that led to the decision to sit him out the first couple of weeks. Then you get that bye week. You get about 15 days off after this year's second game. And you know, then he can come back for what is week four, but only week three for you in terms of your games. And, uh, you know, the worst you're going to be is, is Owen two, hopefully not. And, you know, Jer- and you, you're playing the long game here with Jeremiah Mazzoli because you want him to be around in October and November. I was surprised that they went with Bob Dice. I mean, he had the interim role, you know, last year. Um, in all honesty, I saw Mark Killam being the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks this year. What are your thoughts on Dante Bull? I mean, number one pick overall, he's coming in to hopefully boost up that offensive line and protect the quarterback. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy coming off injury, right? That's that's one of the reasons that you know, he ended up in an, an, an NFL camp, I think, uh, and he was available you know, to go to Ottawa. So, look, young players, some of them click right away. Again, you know, he's coming from playing it. He's a Canadian from B.C., which means he would have played high school football, four down football. Then he went to, uh, you know, he goes to the NCAA and he's playing four down football. And, you know, the technique and the yard off the ball and all that, that's a little bit different. I mean, even though he's a Canadian, he's essentially coming in skill wise as an American. So, yeah. you know, I think, I think you have to kind of provide some time 
you know, for adjustment on that as well. But, uh, you know, as he was certainly, I don't want to say he was a consensus and easy pick number one, but uh, he was a player who, as I say, if had he not had an injury in his, in his senior season, you know, might not have been a bit available to the Red Blacks. And lastly, in the East, it is the reigning Grey Cup champions, the Toronto Argonauts. Kelly Tuff, that was an amazing uh, report that you did. Great job. I thought I absolutely loved that watching that last night. Is he ready? I think he is. You know, I and look, I I thought he was amazing what he did in the Grey Cup game last year. And I know it's only a you know a couple of series and things, but you got to understand. Chad Kelly had not run a meaningful series of offense in six years before that game. <laughs> and when yeah. I say meaningful, I mean in a game that mattered. You know, he was the, he was the, the Argos starter in, their, in the 18th game of the season against Montreal. Game that didn't matter, right? Both teams addressed a lot of backups, things like that. He'd done short yardage for the Argos. You know, he'd done – really, I think, he, I think all he ever did in the National Football League game was take a kneel down. So, you know, that's a, that's a lot of time. <laughs> And, and I thought that he you know, was the unlikely Grey Cup hero. But the fact that he didn't have to come in and compete for a job this year or the number one job, the fact that he had all offseason you know, to know he's going to be the guy or certainly you know, the second half of the offseason to know he's going to be the guy, come to camp, you know, not have that pressure to perform, but just to tune up and get ready for the season. And look, I, I think Chad Kelly's got all the potential in the world. And I, I've heard people talk about him before he ever came to the Canadian Football League as a guy that, you know, if he ever comes up here, wow, this guy has the skill set to really light this league up. He's, he's a, as he said the piece last night, he's, he's a better athlete than his uncle was. You know, he's a guy who was all the way growing up was identified as having tremendous skills. He, you know, he just had some challenges off the field and some, some issues with maturity. But he's, he's 29 years old now. Uh, he's, you know, by his own admission, he's, he's eliminated some of the distractions from his life that maybe people that he, Shouldn't have been around that were, you know, making not making the right decisions around. And I, I mean, look, he was the backup last year in Toronto and it was I, I didn't hear boo about him causing any problems or any sort. And, uh, you know, I, I, that's I, it was a very clean year for him that way. And, and you know, now he's going to be in the spotlight. You know, he's going to be the, everything he says is going to be evaluated and dissected sometimes by the fans and the media. It's going to be a little different being in that backup role. Right. And they're going to they're going to face some adversity. But. I think Chad Kelly's had a lot of time to think about what kind of player he wants to be if he ever got an opportunity to be a starting quarterback again. And now he's got the opportunity, and, and it's it's not like he's got a young team around him. You know, he's, this is this is a guy who's it's a really unique situation when you think about it. Defending Grey Cup champion team, veteran team, uh, certainly both on both sides of the ball, and a quarterback who's you know only started one CFL game, so not not a kind of situation you see very often, but. I think one that it, it, there's lots of reasons to be intrigued about. Yeah, it was actually the opposite. It was McLeod Bethel Thompson that we heard having some rumblings on the sidelines with Coach Dinwiddie. <laughs> but, this, you know, this year, Curly Gittins Jr. coming back. He's an impact player. We have Andrew Harris on his farewell tour. AJ is back, so they're going to have a really solid one-two punch. I mean, they lost Brandon Banks, but he didn't really get used very much at all last year. And McLeod Bethel Thompson went to the USFL. Did they do enough, really, to run it back? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there were a lot of battles in training camp. Like, uh, you know, they added Ormelade on the defensive line. They added a Darius Pickett. And they already were deep in receiver. Harris is back. They brought back A.J. Willett. I, you know, this was not a team that – you know, was full of holes that needed to be patched. And even during training camp, it, it just wasn't a lot of 
battles for, for positions. It was more, again, a team that's tuning up for the season. So I, I like the Toronto Argonauts, and I, I think I, I like their roster. And, and uh, no, I, I don't I don't feel that they necessarily had to go out you know, and make a big splash this offseason. No, now to the team that they beat for the Grey Cup, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They are, they're an interesting team to me because I feel like, and it was said last night in that piece that this really is the last year that this core group is going to be together with what they've done. I mean, they have Kenny Lawler coming in, but coming back, I should say, but he's going to miss the first couple of games due to some, you know, off season stuff that happened. What, what are the chances of the Bombers getting back to the Grey Cup again with having still those key pieces, Dalton Schoen, Nick Dembski, uh, Sergio Castillo is still going to be there kicking or coming back, I should say, kicking. Well, yeah, what, what's the outlook for the Bombers? There's a lot of people in football that would tell you it's better to get rid of a guy a year too early than a year too late, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and you see that all the time. And the Bombers have kind of taken the other philosophy, and I don't mean that they're keeping guys too late, but there are some players on that team whose age might suggest that, you know, it's it's time to bring in somebody else. But they've kept the band together. I mean, they have a lot of important players whose ages start with three. And, I mean, uh, you know, Zach Caleros, who was the two-time MOP, right? I mean, that but that quarterbacks are a little bit different. I mean, they're tackles. You know, you look at Willie Jefferson, you look at Adam Big Hill. I mean, it's just it's a lot of prominent players at that stage of the career. And, and when I say guys whose ages start with three, it's not necessarily even that your play diminishes that much. And sometimes you just become more susceptible to injury. You know, it's just harder to play 18 games when you're 34 years old than when you were 25. So, you know, that becomes a factor as well. I Look, I, I have so much respect for what Winnipeg has done, the way they've performed as consistently over the past three seasons after you know, really a long climb up the hill. Michael Shea really established himself as, you know, the kind of premier coach in the CFL. But it'll be interesting to see. And again, it, it might not just be in performance. It, you know, see, they've been pretty injury-free over the last few years. That's anytime you look at a team that kind of gets into that dynasty territory, you often find a team that's been able to avoid the injury bug, and that's them as well. But, I mean, hey, you look at the bringing back Kenny Lawler, as you say, he'll miss the first few weeks of the season with a legal issue. But, I mean, they're, they're still stacked. Dalton Schoen, I mean, led the league in receiving and touchdowns as a rookie last year. I mean, that's unheard of. They're, you know, they're still, they're still the team – I don't say they're the team to beat because they're not the great cup champions, but you feel like kind of the tone in the league is still being set by the bombers until people start knocking them off consistently. More question and answers, in my opinion, Saskatchewan, the rough riders didn't really do a ton. I mean, they brought in Trevor Harris and they let Cody Pajardo go. They lost Jamal Campbell to Calgary, but they bring in Sean Bain jr. From Calgary Kean Schaefer Baker is, I mean, the key Canadian, and you know Jake we uh, Weineke it could be that X factor. What do you see out of Saskatchewan? Well, they need they've got some receivers that, that kind of need to have bounce back seasons, right? Weineke is one of them. You know, he had he had really been a touchdown machine in Montreal to last year. Didn't have a great year. I mean, added Juwan Breskison, who's come a few seasons with the Argonauts, really had trouble staying healthy. I, I think. Look, Trevor Harris, I really a lot of respect for the way Trevor Harris handled his demotion in Edmonton and subsequent trade to Montreal. I mean, he signed a very marginal contract last year, went there as a backup, you know, played his way into the number one, and all of a sudden he's a half-million-dollar-year quarterback again. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a lesson in the way, the way he handled all that. And at 37, I mean, you know, he stays healthy, and he can throw the football. <laughs> That's the two most important things in a quarterback. And 
I think the, one of the questions is, look, they're, they're putting together an offensive line. It's a bit, it's like doing a puzzle, right? You've got a bunch of pieces and you got to try to figure out how to put them together. And how does this turn into a unit? And that's kind of what they've got to do in Saskatchewan. So that's, that's, that was an issue last year. Some of the same pieces are back. Some are new, but they got to be able to put the puzzle of the offensive line better together than they did a year ago. I don't think they were bad on defense. And you know, last year, I mean, you never want to hang too much on the whole Garrett Marino thing, but that did seem to be the canary in the coal mine for them, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, you, know, you look at where they were at that point and what followed. And just at the end of the year, I mean, they had a disappointing year from Duke Williams, Shaq Evans. I mean, it's there's a reason there's all new receivers in town there, right? And a new quarterback. The the passing game was was not what they what they wanted to be. They've got a new you know, quarterback coach in Drew Tate. They've got a new offensive coordinator. So, I mean, there's a lot of changes around that team on the offensive side of the ball, and and I think everybody could kind of anticipate that given the way last year ended. I, I, the Riders, to me, feel like one of those teams that can kind of go either way. I, 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 they're a tough team for me to read on right now, but I, just because there's been so much personal change on the, on the offensive side of the ball. But, but I, 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 again, I, I feel like it's, 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 they, are, they and Montreal maybe are the, the wait-and-see teams for me just because of you know, how much turnover there's been that, that I really don't know how to evaluate them because you know, going back to last year really doesn't do you much good. Is this do or die for Dickinson and O'Day? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, I think it is. And, I, and I, I'm not saying anything that they don't know. Right? I mean, <laughs> I, I think Craig Dickinson knows that the way last season ended and if he had a different, if he hadn't had time remaining on his contract, he wouldn't be back, right? And there's a lot of pressure in Saskatchewan. There's a lot of expectations in Saskatchewan. And, you know, Jeremy O'Day inherited the job from Chris Jones. Like, he wasn't the guy they went out and got. I don't know if that matters. You know, it's maybe you have to prove yourself a little more, you know, when you get the job that way. I don't know. But but I, I think given the way last season ended and how disappointing that year was, not a lot of guys necessarily get another season after one that, that ended the way Saskatchewan's second half may be. And I think when you, you are lucky enough or fortunate enough to get, be given that opportunity – you probably understand that if you don't make the most of it, you're not going to be back. All right, next up, we've got the Edmonton Elks, another team that went 4-14 four and 14 last year. Some weird changes happening. Uh, going back with Taylor Cornelius, yeah, Edmonton, what's going on there? Well, I, I think what Chris Jones did a year ago was basically run training camp for 21 weeks, right? And when you, when you get a new job, you've got some leash. You've got some runway. You can do some things where you don't have the pressure to win right away, even in a team like Edmonton has been down in a way they have not been down for a long, long, long time. But th- th- you, what you want to do is you want to be able to identify some of those pieces that are, you're going to carry with you into a, into a winning organization. You also want to give your young quarterback the opportunity to make mistakes when it's not necessarily going to cost you. I think you saw Taylor Cornelius take a pretty significant step ahead last year because of the play time that they gave him. He was a much more refined player. We know that year number three is the year that CFL quarterbacks often blossom. You look at the talent they've put around him to help him do that, you know, in Stephen Dunbar and Kyron Moore, Dylan Mitchell, who was one of those guys they identified last year is there. And they add Geno Lewis, you know, defensively, you know, they, they've got some, they've got some horses up front as well. And, and that, that like a guy like McConzo is a Canadian, you know, comes in and can play for them that they took in the draft last year. So, you know, look, I, <laughs> there's a reason Chris Jones has been in the Canadian football league for more than two decades and has never been part of a staff that was fired. 
mean, <laughs> I, I think that's a I, honestly that that's a high measure, right? Like Chris Jones never been fired. I don't know many guys that have been in the league as long as he has, and never even been part of a staff where that happened. And you know, I, I know that he took a very different tact recruiting this offseason. You're looking at players from smaller schools and smaller conferences. I'll be interested to see you know, how some of their rookies come along. But I expect Edmonton to be a much better team this year. And I, and I would not be surprised if Taylor Cornelius really emerges as one of the better quarterbacks in the CFL. And the Battle of Alberta will continue. The Calgary Stampeders up next. Micah Owie comes in to bolster up that linebacker crew. with Cam- And Cameron Judge, of course, is coming back. What are what's going to happen? Do you think this year with Mayer taking control of the team? Well, it kind of goes back to a little bit what I said about Taylor Cornelius. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they're very, very different players, but they're both going into year number three. And and I think what really stood out about Jake Mayer was just what a quick study he was in years number one and two. I mean, yeah, we all remember him in twenty one throwing for three hundred yards, three first three games in the league. Uh, you know, last year. Dave Dickinson and John Huffnagel felt confident enough in, in what they saw in Jake Mayer to sit down Bo Levi Mitchell. I mean, that's that's not insignificant. And and they did it, I believe, after a win at a time that they had a winning record. So it wasn't like there was tons of pressure. Like, what do we do? Oh, oh my God. Well, we better change the quarterback. There's nothing else we can do. That wasn't that situation. You know, the, the wheels were not coming off at Calgary. That was purely, I think, a an evaluation by – I think primarily Dave Dickinson to, to make that change. And, and I, you know, whether, whether Bo's health factored into that, you know, I, I couldn't tell you, but it, but it was, that's, you know, I was, that was a very, very significant move. And you don't, and I, and Dave Dickinson is one of those guys that, you know, I would, I would give Dave Dickinson a large benefit of the doubt on a lot of things and quarterbacks and offenses would, would be one of them. And I, I don't mean that to be do, do disrespectful to Bo Levi Mitchell at all. I know he's not pleased with the way things played out there for him last season, but I, I think even if you remember when, when Bo got hurt in 21, uh, it was supposed to be Michael O'Connor. There was the, there was the, the quarterback who was on number two on the depth chart and Dickinson made the reach to number three for Jake Mayer and took some criticism for him because of course O'Connor's a Canadian bit of a fan favorite their way but I, I think again he <laughs> showed Dave Dickinson knew what he was doing so uh you know I think the big thing for them is you know they their Canadian receivers are down a little bit I mean they don't have Richardson Danny anymore uh, Phil Pott's going to be out for a chunk of the year they're, they're two best Canadian receivers not two best but two of their highest pedigree receivers kid they took in the uh in the first round of the draft Cole helped me with his last name on the cover thank you Cole Tucker and uh and, and Rice and John, I mean, those are two Canadian receivers, uh, you know, neither of whom have played three-down football. <laughs> so, yeah. again, you know, that, so there's, there's going to be, you know, a bit of an adjustment there as well. But, but I just think that, that group of Canadian receivers down Philpot, you know, they, they, again, they took a couple of guys, uh, some rookies that are going to get some opportunity. Luther Hakanavanu is a guy they'd be looking to take a step forward. And, and, but, I, again, I think there's going to have to be some evolution there over the course of the season to kind of make up for that with, some of the guys that they have down, they don't have Kamar Jordan anymore. So it's a bit of a transition year, you know, offensively for them. But, but again, they, I, I mentioned earlier, we were talking about premier backs in the league. You've got Kadeem Carey, who I think is you know, somebody who is, you know, at the absolute you know, peak of his career and a guy who's proven and, and along with William Stanbeck, I think are sort of the, you know, the one and one a top running backs in the league. 
Kadeem Carey won the rushing title last year. I mean, he wants to go back to back, but he's also in his contract year this year. And last year we saw with Sean Lemon, who is, you know, he was the uh, Western nominee for defensive player of the year. They let him go. Do you see Kadeem Carey back in Calgary next year with potentially the amount of money he'll be worth? Well, look, running backs, whether we're talking CFL or NFL, they, they don't get paid like they used to. I, I mean, it, it's seen as a position where you can, you, you don't want to invest the greatest amount of money. And, and I think even backs like, like Stan Beck and, and Kadeem Carey, you know, you're not going to see a guy making $200,000 carry the football in the CFL. And, you know, even if you could leave somewhere and make more money, you have to look at the situation and say, if he has a good year this year, you know, and you're, you're in a good organization, you're in a team that consistently wins. Um, you know, I don't think Kadeem Carey as a guy who played in the National Football League with the Chicago Bears and is a former NCAA rushing champion is playing in Canada for money. I think he's playing for opportunity. I think he's playing for the joy. In fact, I talked to him this offseason. He's reason he says playing is for his kids because he's got young kids and he wants them to be able to remember him playing football. That's why he's here. So I, I would think that if Kadeem Carey has a good season, there's a very good chance that he's going to be back in Calgary next season. And much like with Hamilton, all eyes on them in the East, all eyes on the West is going to be the BC Lions. What is life like with Vernon Adams Jr. and no kid Canada, Nathan Rourke? Well, I mean, there's two big pieces of that offense gone, right? I mean, well, three, really, when you think about it. James Butler, who really had a breakout season last year, and he's moved on to Hamilton. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at Brian Burnham, who, you know, I think probably is a future Hall of Famer. Is you know has retired. He's moved on, and then you have, as you said, called him Kid Canada, moved on to Jacksonville. So, look, the stage is set for Vernon Adams, and and I, you know, I hope that Vernon Adams is able to kind of run with this. He's a guy who's had such an unstable first few seasons in his career. Then it seemed like he found his landing spot in Montreal, and just as he was ready to kind of ascend towards greatness, inconsistency got in the way, and ultimately. It was funny, you know, Danny Machocha and Kari Jones, you know, didn't agree on everything, obviously, because Danny Machocha replaced Kari Jones. But when it came to the quarterback, they both went with Trevor Harris over Vernon Adams. So I don't know what that tells you, but it just tells you that at least in that situation, that, that wasn't the point of contention between those two. But Vernon played, I think, pretty well in the difficult situation, subbing for Hork last year. Everything I hear about training camp this year with him is very positive. 12 for 12 in that preseason game. Uh, most recently, and and this is the time, you know, his, he's not a young man anymore, right? This is the time where it has to come together for him. Uh, I think being on the West Coast, you know, he played at the University of Oregon. He's a West Coast guy. I think all those things kind of could come together for him. And but that's that's going to be that's going to be the big piece there, right? And and again, a little bit of change for them. I mean, they they don't have Jordan Williams anymore at linebacker. You mentioned some of the changes that have gone on in that team, but uh, they're still very strong in the secondary and. You know, I expect the Lions to be good this season. They got Mackie coming back at fullback. But do you think LaFrance and Mizzle can really replace what Butler did in, in the backfield? To be determined, you know. Um, <laughs> look, I, and LaFrance is a guy who has had spurts in his career, you know, where he's he's looked like he could be that. But I don't think he's going to be your guy that's going to carry the mail for 18 weeks, right? And then there's got some unproven players around in, that, in the backfield that are going to have to show whether or not, you know, I mean, take it – Asking whether they can do what James Butler did last season is probably a, a tall order because, as I said, it was a real breakout season for him and it made him a very desirable player in free agency. But but usually running backs, 
aren't the position that make or break a team season. Yeah, they still have really solid receiving core. Adams is still going to be a, a solid uh, starter. So it's hard to say what's going to have. I agree with you with the to be determined. So before I let you go, Grey Cup game predictions. Who is it going to be? Oh, boy. In Hamilton <laughs> next November, you know. Uh, look, I, I won't be surprised. I, I'm not really great at predictions. and so <laughs> I, but I, Because I, I think in the CFL there's so much, you know, that we don't know at this time of year. That if you ask, and, and I think it was you know, David Sanchez may have said this in the air last night, that, you know, if you, if you ask me after week four to make predictions, I'll be a lot better at it than I am at the start of the season. But since we have to make preseason predictions, uh, I'm going to say – it's going to be the Calgary Stampeders and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The 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 Bow versus Calgary Grey Cup. How would that be for a storyline? I know the oh. journalists journalists would be tra- would be cheering that one on. If only that if only the Grey Cup was in Calgary this year too would make that so much better. Who would you have on top if it's Hamilton Calgary? Oh my goodness, man. I, I'm going to say the Ticat drought ends, right? I mean, 1999, it's got to end sometime. 24 years, can't get to the quarter century mark. They were in overtime on home field two years ago. Got to give them a nod to cross the line this year. I am going to go with a rematch of week one this year. I'm going to go Hamilton-Winnipeg in the Grey Cup. Winnipeg is going to get back there again, but I think Winnipeg is going to fall two years in a row, and it will be Bo's redemption this year as well. I think Hamilton takes it. Well, you'll get your great cup preview in week number one, right? Starting right away with Hamilton and Winnipeg. That's what I'm thinking. Dave, thank you so much for coming back on the show again. I really appreciate it. Um, I look forward to seeing all the amazing work that you do. That Kelly Tough story was so amazing. I think you did just an absolutely fantastic job. I can't say that enough. Well, let me just throw a, uh, a shout out to... Uh, producer matt dunn and our camera shooter uh curry lehman on that one because uh i had some pretty good teammates on that story i know my face and my voice is all over it but uh they did some tremendous work awesome let's get together again maybe towards the end of the year around gray cup week and we'll see how things look then from now sounds good thanks for having me all right so it is week one it is time to get started The season's going to be kicking off on Thursday, June 8th. The BC Lions are going to be traveling to Calgary to take on the Stampeders. Friday, June the 9th, we've got the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And Saturday, June 10th, we've got the Ottawa Red Blacks and the Montreal Alouettes. And then finally, Sunday, June 11th, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders taking on the Edmonton Elks. You can follow us on Instagram at Around the CFL Podcast, same as on Twitter. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating if you're loving the show. You can find us on all platforms. You can find us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, Google, iHeart, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. We'll be back again with a new episode next week where we are going to be reviewing the week one games that are happening right away here. Well, that is it for us, and we'll see you later.